in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Too many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people trying to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've gotta be free The way God made men And I won't be ruled by the damn you win Taking your right to self-defense They say you're safer but they don't make sense Dangerous ones will not turn into guns Always ask for more All we buy is made on foreign shores Come a day when there'll be real hell pay I've gotta be free The way God made men And I won't be ruled by the damn you wet I do not view abortion as a uh, um, as a choice and a right. I think it's always a tragedy, and I think that uh, it should be uh, rare and safe. And I think we should be focusing on how to limit the number of abortions. All right, that's Joe Biden. This is Tim Tap. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tap into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, and we are going to try to do something a little bit different tonight. First of all, I am trying to bring this broadcast to you through a quite ferocious thunderstorm, but I only have so many hours in the day, and if I don't get Get this done now. I won't be able to. So hopefully we won't suffer a power outage. If you hear some thunder rolling, it is making, it is so loud out there. It is clearly coming through into the studio. Uh, so it's pretty rough right now, but I don't have much of a choice. I've got to get going. And uh, part of what we're going to do here in the first hour is we're going to bring to you a conversation that I had with the purveyor of the conservative daily briefing.com, uh, the man who has been a force in conservative politics for a while now, my conversation from yesterday with Mr. Ken Crow. Now, uh, we were discussing today's Ken had reached out to me to, uh, to discuss 
his thoughts on Trump's rally in Alaska. And then in the process, we ended up having some conversations uh, about a lot of other things. So we kind of went uh, through the ups and downs, peaks and valleys, had nearly an hour and a quarter's worth of recorded material. And then, much to my chagrin, when I was going to, to go into the audio and edit it down so that I could break it into uh, segments so I could do this half uh, in this part of the hour and this half and this part of the hour and then if necessary a little bit more later I discovered that for some strange snafu reason none of my audio recorded not a bit of it so I'm going to do something a little different than usual uh, I considered possibly trying to re-record the parts that I can remember get as close to acclimating the actual conversation as possible and trying to splice that back in. But that would have taken so many hours that by the time I would be done with that project, the conversation would be moot. So what I'm actually going to do is tell you a little bit about what I was saying, and then I'm going to play his parts, and we're going to pause here and there as we go. And uh, I'm going to try to make sure that the... Uh, the overall gist is there, but there's a lot of great points that Ken made. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started with part one of this conversation. And then we will take uh, the break that usually comes thereafter. And then we will finish up that conversation and then we will move on. So, ladies and gentlemen, this is where I said to Ken, welcome back to the show. Great to have you here. Once again, it's my pleasure and honor to welcome Ken Crow to the broadcast uh, Ken, thank you so much for being here, and as always, uh, I greatly appreciate everything that you do out there, and even more so that you take the time to join me on the semi-regular basis, but in the process of talking off-air before we got started, you mentioned a brand new project, so uh, first of all, how the heck are you, Ken, and then uh, let's talk about that new project. Man, we are living the dream in Iowa. We are currently suffering through waist-high corn, which I don't know if you know this or not, but corn emits a lot of humidity. And when the air is still and the temperatures are 95 degrees, you can hear corn popping. I kid you not. Go try it sometime. But we are living through all that. Good to, good to talk to you again, Tim. Well, it's definitely my honor to have you here. Uh, as I've already mentioned, we were talking off air just a little uh, while ago, and you mentioned a brand new project going on. So uh, tell the listeners a little bit about the new project. Well, it's conservativedailybriefing.com, which has been around a long time, formerly known as Crow's Nest Politics years and years back. Um, it was originally my sort of take on all politics and i would write my stuff you you act you you contribute quite often great articles over there uh <clears throat> excuse me but conservative daily briefing we decided to try something new we're going to branch out into the video stratosphere we're going to try doing what are they called vlogs blog video blogs whatever at any rate we're going to try doing that and the participants are going to be a great American patriot. She used to work for Donald Trump. She's a writer. Uh, she writes uh, a lot of things. As a matter of fact, she's a political activist as well. Her name's Victoria Norcross. She's going to be coming aboard. And then we're going to have my son. Now, the reason we're putting my son on, he's uh, 
oh god he's gonna shoot me he's what 31 32 years old <laughs> i forget when you have five kids tim you tend to forget particularly at my age <laughs> but at any rate he's a uh, law enforcement officer he's a tennessee state trooper highway patrolman and uh, he's been doing this for a little over five years so we got to talking and Victoria got to talking and we all thought, you know what, this would be a great idea to discuss politics from a generational standpoint. You know, like, son, I love you to death. When you were born, this was a different country. What do you think today? I mean, you just had a baby. You've got a one-year-old. What do you think his future is? Where, where do you see America today? And we're going to go through all these questions and we're going to do this daily. Uh, it'll be about a 30-minute, maybe 40-minute show, and uh, we're going to discuss today's topics and how relevant they are to the generations. Uh, Victoria's in her late 30s, early 40s, and then, you know, me, I'm, I'm gray-haired and all that, so it's uh, you're going to get three different perspectives, and I, I think it's going to be a really interesting concept and a very interesting show. All right. At that point, I agreed with uh, Ken. I absolutely do agree with it. I, I think that this will be interesting from the standpoint of that generational uh, perspective because it's going to give us an opportunity to get a little insight into how does conservatism look through the eyes of different generations. Uh, what do you agree with? Uh, what do you disagree with? And that's going to be one of the other things, because as conservatives, we do often find that there are certain levels of disagreement. Will the younger conservatives be a little more progressive? Or, surprisingly, will they be more conservative than those who came before them? Will there be a bubble in the middle? Uh, I think that's going to be real interesting. So I, I love the concept, and uh, I certainly feel like this is most likely going to be very successful for him. Uh, we went on from there, of course. Well, you will be, and I'll tell you another secret. Uh, Well, his comment there, I will be, by the way, that is where I had said that I very much look forward to the launch of this, and I hope that he will send me a link because I want to be one of the first people to sign up and subscribe for the new channel. We'll put you on there, too. I want your your thoughts. (laughs) No, we're going to interview people, and uh, you're a great one to interview. You have your finger on the pulse because... You talk to so many people across America, I mean, from California to Florida to Maine, you know, I guess probably Puerto Rico and Arizona and everything in between. So you have your finger on the pulse of the thought processes of America as good, if not better than anybody I know. And I think you would be an outstanding subject matter to discuss some of this stuff with. Uh, And I can't wait to have you. So. Yeah. And plus, Tim, let's be honest, you are such a handsome devil on camera anyway. (laughs) And that was at this point that I had to uh, shoot in the one-liner that, yeah, I'm so handsome, I have a face for radio. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. (laughs) 
All right. At this point, uh, we switched gears, and I mentioned the fact that, okay, uh, uh, Ken, you had reached out to me for the general purpose of talking about something else entirely, uh, but I couldn't let the opportunity to go by without letting the listeners know about the new project. So hopefully you guys will be on the lookout, and be sure to check out conservativedailybriefing.com anyway, uh, because that is a place you need to be uh, on the regular, and you'll like he mentioned already, you'll find articles from me every so often. So uh, feel free to uh, go visit that. And, uh, of course, I give Ken a, another opportunity to give out the websites and everything else a little later. But then we shift gears into what the primary discussion topic was going to be. And uh, that is uh, Trump's rally uh, in Alaska. And I had to admit, at that point in time, I had not seen any of the rally. I didn't get a chance to watch it live, hadn't had a chance to uh, review any of it on video. And uh, as a naughty, naughty boy, I, I really thought I would have more of an opportunity by now. But <laughs> as of the time of the broadcast, which happens to be Tuesday, it's 7 12 22. I still have barely gotten into it at all. So I'm relying very heavily on Ken's observations here. Uh, so forgive me for being a naughty host, but uh, here's Ken's thoughts. Well, the first thing you, you always see at a Trump rally, now, granted, I don't think Anchorage has a full size, you know, stadium that holds 35,000 people or anything, but the one they had was packed to the rafters and the video and, and according to everybody's reports, there were literally thousands of people outside the, the venue uh, watching it on the big jumbotrons they put up out there. So he, he had a massive outpouring in Anchorage, number one. And Anchorage really isn't, it, it's not hardcore conservative like say Abilene Texas or you know Smyrna Tennessee or something like that they're they're a little bit middle of the road up there they kind of you know you got a lot of leftover hippies from Haight Ashbury that live in Anchorage and they like their marijuana and they like to do their thing you know uh, and to have that kind of outpouring at this event and Sarah Palin was there, of course. That's her backyard. And she's running for U.S. Congress for uh, Alaska. I think they only have one congressman in Alaska. I think them and Wyoming are the, and maybe Montana are the three states that only have one congressman. But at any rate, she was there. And, of course, she got his blessing and, and all of that. And then this other lady that's running against Lisa Murkowski, the, the event opened with him spending probably the first 10 minutes basting, literally rotisserie and basting Lisa Murkowski. He has no love lost for this lady, I'm telling you. He does not like Lisa Murkowski. Uh, Rhino was one of the gentlest terms he referred to her in. <laughs> he, he does not like Lisa so he lifted this lady up and gave her all the adulation in the world. And she's a uh, America first Trumper girl. And, uh, she serves, I can't remember the position she holds, but it's a pretty high ranking state position. Like I don't recall state auditor or something of that nature. Uh, but anyway, he praised her. Then he launched in to all of Joe Biden's failings and, uh, 
talking about speech. He shifted from blaming the past. Yeah, he brought up some election fraud, but he didn't dwell on it like he has in the past. This time, he he was showing the crowd and everybody watching on television how far down the rabbit hole America's gone, how how bad it truly is today and how bad it's going to get, and it's going to get a lot worse. And so he was pointing out that. Then he immediately shifted to what he would do differently. So it, it was not your typical Trump speech that we've seen for the last two years. This was a totally different animal. And in my mind, that is a very good indicator that Trump is listening to the people who are trying to help him with the messaging because he has had a lot of people who supported him very strongly early on that have started to kind of feel like the the horse is dead. Why are you still beating it? Uh yeah, the the fraud was rampant. Those of us who do believe in high amounts of fraud, we agree, but it's a done deal. That part is over. There's nothing we can do to go back and change it, despite what a lot of folks would have you say. So I, I take this as a very good sign. But uh, Ken, of course, continued. And he's begun the shift away from placing blame and woe is me and whatever else he talked about in the past to something more positive. To America's greatest days can be ahead, but we have to get rid of X, Y, Z to make this happen. This is the most ele- important election coming up in November that we're ever going to have, uh, short of probably 2024. And uh, you need to get out and vote, and here's why, and here's what we are going to do. And he kept using that, that phrase, this is what we are going to do. You're in this with me. We're a team, blah blah blah. It was a it was a cam- it was a full full service campaign stop, is what it was, with a little time thrown into hug Sarah and hug this Kelly lady, and otherwise it was. Uh, and he pointed out a few dignitary. Of course, he had to to offer up his love for Mike Lindell, who was <laughs> Lindell goes to every one of these now. He's like the corporate sponsor for Trump rallies or something. (laughs) He's at every one of them. But uh, he's got something coming up. I I didn't quite catch what it was, but something major is coming on August the 11th. And uh, it has to do with uh, election fraud and all that stuff. Uh, And they pointed out that Wisconsin Supreme Court has struck down and outlawed ballot boxes, uh, the curbside ones, (laughs) not not the actual voting places, but the curbside ballot boxes. Although there are probably plenty of those the way they've been operated that should be banned as well. But uh, that's just a little color commentary on my part. Uh, Continue, Ken. (laughs) They've outlawed them. And, uh, but anyway, I think everybody should go watch the speech on YouTube or, Rumble or wherever it was broadcast live on right side broadcasting. So their uh, rsbnetwork.com is their website, and you could probably pull it up there. It, it's a phenomenal speech. It really, it's 
probably one of the top two or three best Trump speeches, maybe the best I've ever heard him give. And I've been watching him give speeches now for five years. And this was the best one I've ever seen. All right. Well, clearly this is pretty high praise for the speech. I I myself uh, really enjoyed a couple of uh, Trump's State of the Union addresses. They were top-notch, and had the political left not been so adamant about, ooh, we just hate America, so obviously we hate anybody that's America first, uh, they would have had little choice but to agree. And Trump's Abraham Accords speech was a fantastic speech as well. So if this is truly that good, and sadly, I I already admitted, I still haven't had a chance to go back and see for myself, then this would be a phenomenal speech. And for anybody that's looking to see Trump go ahead and make that official announcement and come out, uh, that has to be good news. Uh, Plus, quite honestly, based on what uh, Ken had said to this point, It does show that Donald Trump is still capable of getting a lot of stuff done, because if that had been me and I started out going down Biden's list of failures, uh, I would probably still be talking right now and would have never had a chance to to shower any love on uh, any of the other folks that were there. Uh, I would probably still just be going and going. But uh, anyway, uh, there's that. Now, uh, I ask you at this point, that uh, if Trump does announce, how do you see it playing out? First in the primaries and then uh, in the head-to-head against the Democrats, uh, whoever they nominate. And right now, clearly, we don't know who they're going to nominate because right now it certainly looks like, at the very least, a lot of Democrats are uh, signaling that they're ready to to drop Biden and move on to pick somebody else, put pressure on him uh, to do something else. So uh, I'm very curious about that. But let's uh, start off by looking at uh, how do you think the uh, primaries would play out? <laughs> now, he was laughing at me talking oh about goodness. I'd still be talking uh, <laughs> if it was me. <laughs> Covering all of Biden's failures, but anyway. Okay, Joe, uh, all right, the primary first. Uh, No question, Trump can win the primary. There's no doubt about that. Uh, The only possible contender to that would be a DeSantis candidacy in which would create a bloodbath within the party. And I, I think that if Trump does come out and announce... I mean, it wouldn't surprise me a bit if Ron DeSantis called him up today and said, Mr. President, you got 48 hours to announce, otherwise I'm going to. You know, that phone call would not surprise me at all. Uh, You know, are you in or are you out? Because if you're out, I'm in. But if you're in, I'm not going to step on your toes. You're still the party leader. Uh, In fact, I would think there will probably be that phone call here in the very, very near future. I mean, like within the next week, uh, you're, you're going to, because DeSantis is scheduled to go to Utah. Uh, I read the other day, I think it's this week they're having this weekend or something. They're having a big mega donor meeting, uh, where, you know, your, uh, Sheldon passed away, but his wife will be there. You know, you have the Adelsons and the Foster Freeze people and all these big mega donors that put up seven digits for candidates, and they're all going to be meeting with DeSantis this week. However, is that enough? 
because the fact is Trump has bled over the last two years, uh, rapidly approaching three quarters of a billion dollars out of the Republican donor base, meaning Joe Sixpack gave his 50 bucks. You know, I gave my 50 bucks. You gave your 50. You know, we've all given our 50 bucks and he's put hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of millions in his campaign bank. So he's got all the money. There's no question about that. So can anybody else raise enough money? That would be the next question. Then you have Mike Pence, who has pretty long uh, coattails as well, being the former vice president, uh, GOP stalwart, although he's more of a... uh, company man so to speak he's not a renegade and i heard an interesting line today from victoria norcross i mentioned to you earlier she made the comment said america does not want normality they want somebody that's going to stand up to the regime meaning the media and the rest of them that she saying america wants somebody that's going to tell the establishment to blow it they're not interested. And, uh, and I think she's right. I think she's spot on. And this, this, this is what gave Trump rise to power in the first place, because he was one of the ones to stand up and point and say fake news, you know, and everybody knows it. That's the thing. Everybody knows it. Yeah. At this point, uh, well, actually a little before this, I did interject. It's like, I I think uh, that Miss Norcross is absolutely right. I think the point Ken is making right. And it's not so much normalcy that the American voter is ready to give up. It is, in fact, the establishment that uh, the American voter is ready to give up. Uh, Mike Pence is a great guy by all accounts. He's a loyal husband. He's a smart guy. Uh, He's Uh, relatively loyal to the Constitution, but he's still an establishment guy. And unfortunately, it's some of these establishment folks, not even necessarily rhinos, but establishment Republicans uh, that have given us this new gun control bill. Uh, So uh, I pointed this out that I am absolutely on board with the idea. I think it is correct, and I think that's why the American voter is looking for a disruptor, somebody that can do the things that Trump has done, uh, even if it's not necessarily Trump they're looking for. Uh, That's why I think Ron DeSantis has a really good chance if Trump doesn't get in, but it really does look like Trump is going to get in. Anyway, uh, let me let Ken get back to his points. You know, you, you could only for years watch so much of Katie Couric before you wanted to vomit, you know. She, you know, she's down licking Hillary Clinton's high heels, you know, and you just got sick of watching it. And this has been going on for years. I don't know who the new names are because I don't watch them anymore. But, uh, yeah. Well, Tim, I'll give you a classic example just to point out one campaign in America right now. Now, this is that little gap you heard is actually where I made the interjection with what I just said about being ready to move past the establishment, folks, uh, just for clarification. Now, is the Tim Wahlberg. Now, Tim is a U.S. congressman from southeast Michigan. He uh, held all the area from Detroit down to the border and then over toward the center of the state a little bit until he redistricted him. Uh, 
Tim touts himself as having a 95% conservative voting record. He touts himself in speeches, and I've heard him say this in person. I am the most conservative congressman on Capitol Hill. <clears throat> oh, really? Okay. Well, let me ask you something, and, and I truly believe this. I believe you can be a conservative and still be compassionate, okay? Uh, George Herbert Walker coined that phrase long ago, compassionate conservative. Well, the Democrats came out with a bill late last year that what they wanted to do, and we've all heard the horror stories about what these pharmaceutical companies have done with uh, insulin. You know, people are having to pay 350 and $500 a month for their insulin, of which if you don't have it, you die. I mean, those are your options. Take your insulin or die, okay? <laughs> That's kind of, kind of like breathing air. You're either going to breathe air or you're going to die, one of the two. So uh, insulin's critically important, and 70% of your senior citizens or diabetic. It just, it's something that comes with age. You know, you hit 60, 65 years old, you're probably going to be a diabetic. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Okay. And without your insulin, you're a dead senior citizen. So they came out with a bill that they were going to cap the pharmaceutical industry at $35 retail. And insulin is something that these guys can manufacture for a couple of bucks a vial, okay? And they used to sell it, used to, several years back. It was like 10, 15 bucks for your insulin. Not anymore. Now it's 500 And so they were going to cap it at $35. Well, nearly every or a good portion, all the Democrats voted for it, and a, and a pretty strong portion, about 50% of the Republicans voted for this bill. And it passed, and the president signed it. So now I guess people are paying $35. But at any rate, Wahlberg voted against this. Now, when you go to OpenSecrets.com and look up who Wahlberg's donors are, guess what? It's all a big pharma, Johnson and Johnson, Pfizer, I mean, the, the big long list. So he, he claims to be a conservative, which in many respects he is, but he, he still, to go to your point you made a minute ago, they're not going to vote against their big donors. They're not going to do it. And that's the problem on Capitol Hill. These people are owing their souls and their political livelihoods to Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson and General Dynamics and General Motors and all the rest of them. They owe their livelihood and their soul to these guys and whatever they want, they get. And it's hurting the American people. It's hurting the American dream. It's hurting everything. We need to get big money and big corporations out of politics. If, if it needs to be to the point of where you're allowed to give 50 bucks and that's it. And we're sorry, Mr. Congressman, if you can only raise $82,000 for your campaign, we're sorry. 
That's it. You're not getting General Dynamics $400,000. You're not going to get, you know, Ford Motor Company's 300000 to make electric cars with and get all the free government money. And that's something else, these corporations. You got me on a tangent, and I'm sorry. Okay, I'm going to interrupt his tangent real quick and let him get back at it. But uh, at this point, uh, had he not been on such a roll, I would have interjected that, uh, you know, it's unlikely that some of these people without those big corporate sponsors would get $82, let alone $82,000. Anyway, uh, let's let King continue. These corporations are, are donating these big bucks to the politicians because they turn around and they uh, pilfer the American taxpayer is like Ford Motor Company and General Motors right now building all these electric cars. Nobody wants them. Nobody wants them. They're overpriced. They're, they, I mean, when, when you can only drive from Knoxville to Nashville before you have to spend four hours recharging, you know, at, at one of two recharging stations in the city, you know, what, is that something you really want? Do you really want to pay $95,000 for a Tesla four-door to drive halfway to Memphis and have to spend four hours on the side of the road recharging? Well, well, here's the deal. All right, before uh, before he goes any further, uh, this is one of those gaps. When he asked that question, do you want to do this, I responded by saying, well... Maybe if I were a leftist who feels like it's more important to signal virtue than to live virtue, maybe I would. But since I actually understand that the whole thing is a scam, that there is literally nothing eco-friendly about an electric car, that uh, absolutely not. And if any real tree hugger knew the truth, realized the truth, understood what it takes to get the ion batteries, understood what it takes to charge those batteries up, and how frequently, how much more electricity on already stressed electrical grids uh, would be required in order to get from point A to point B, then absolutely I would even stop trying to signal that virtue. But uh, that's where he jumped in with this very simply and i don't know the exact numbers but i know i'm pretty close here it cost tesla 25 grand to build one of those ninety-five thousand dollar cars the government gives them the money to build the damn car so the ninety-five thousand dollars is pure profit same with general motors and ford they're getting 20 grand or 25 grand a car to build these things because they're eco-friendly and we need to convert over to electricity. Never mind the fact the electricity comes from coal-powered electricity plants, factories. Uh, it all comes generated from coal. Then you've got all these toxic ingredients. And by the way, two years from now, you got to replace your batteries. That's $12,000. You know, I'm trying, and then where are we going to store the dead batteries? That's another issue. So it's all a big scam. It's all a big con for government money. It's the same as these windmills. I sit here, this beautiful landscape where I live is now cluttered with these windmills. They cost $3.8 million to put up. The government gives Warren Buffett all his grant money because he owns all the windmills. So he's putting the windmills up for free 
And it's, it's a scam. And how much did Warren Buffett give to Joe Biden's campaign? Somebody needs to look that up. I happen to know it's millions. And that's why Joe Biden's sending oil tankers to China now and shutting all these pipelines down because Warren Buffett gets paid to transport the oil via his train companies that he owns and his trucking companies that he owns. So instead of running the oil through the pipeline, we're going to ship it down railroad lanes and down trucks across interstates so they can crash and spill 50,000 gallons of oil on the side of the road. Well, everything we just talked all right, and at that point, I interjected uh, by saying, and let's, let's go a little further with that, Ken, because we need to discuss, more people need to discuss, all this oil that's being sent to China right now from us, that's from our strategic reserve. That is supposed to be on standby in the event of an emergency. Let's talk about how energy policy in this country is absolutely a shambles. It's a wreck. It is beyond recognition. And let's talk about everything else that Joe Biden has done uh, to put America last. And then that's where Ken said everything we just talked about is stuff that Trump talked about in the uh, Alaska rally. About Trump talked about in Alaska. Well, I, I can tell you now. All right. At this point, uh, after saying uh, the uh, talked about in Alaska, I asked the point blank right there. If DeSantis is out and you're left with just some never Trumpers uh, trying to, to run against uh, Trump in the Republican primary, uh, do any of them even make it past Super Tuesday? that Trump owns Iowa for the Republican Party. Trump owns, if you'll recall, back in 16 and 20, Trump owns South Carolina. Well, that's two of your first three states in the primaries. And New Hampshire would probably, I'm going to say they'd go for Trump too, because Corey Lewandowski is from New Hampshire. And if I'm not mistaken, he's running for U.S. Congress or something up there. And he's a devoted Trump acolyte. As you know, he was his campaign manager for all of 16. And uh, he loves the Donald. He calls him the boss. He loves the boss. And uh, he would help Trump dramatically. So Trump, you're right. Trump's going to blow everybody out. Uh, Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and then it's pretty much over because he'll take Tennessee uh, and sweet, uh, the, the big 16, you know, the Super Tuesday, I believe it's 16 states. He'll take Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, all those states, and then, and then it's effectively over. I th- yeah, and at this point, I, I basically said that I really believe that Trump versus any uh, never-Trumper, you know, never-Trumper X, whoever that might be, uh, and even some of the other folks that aren't never-Trumpers that are thinking about being in that I kind of think will shy away if Trump announces. But if Trump holds off, waits to some other folks announce first, they may find themselves in this race. So uh, no matter who it is, I really do think once you get to Super Tuesday, Trump easily wins 10 of the 16. 
And I still think he wins more than just those 10, but eh, might be just a little bit closer in five or five or six of those states. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I definitely think that uh, it's going to be a case where Trump in the primary, especially without DeSantis. Now, DeSantis in, even with uh, Trump running, that's a different that's a whole different ballgame. I, I think that that looks very different. The calculus changes considerably. But anybody else in here, I think by Super Tuesday, it will already be too far gone for anybody to have a chance to catch up with Donald Trump. I think he's officially the de facto nominee at that point. But that's, that's just, again, uh, based on he makes the announcement. Scares most of the folks off, but he's basically just running against never Trumpers. Hey, all right, two two answers to your question. All right, and then I asked him, uh, and this is where he's going. It's like, what do you, what about the Democrat side? Do they run Joe Biden? Do they dump Biden? What do you think? What would be the smart move for the Democrats? One, if the Democrats were smart they would put up Joe Manchin and probably Tulsi Gabbard if they were smart. Because then you would attract the middle, even some Democrat or Republicans. I mean, I, I got to tell you, that that's a pretty nice-looking ticket any way you slice it. Uh, Joe Manchin and Tulsi Gabbard would win in 2024. Trump couldn't beat them. I'm on I'm going to tell you now, Trump could not beat Joe Manchin and Tulsi Gabbard because, I, in fact, one night I, I spent probably an hour sitting in a lawn chair in this uh, winery, this wealthy man's backyard in Indianola, Iowa. My mother and I spent probably an hour visiting with Congresswoman Gabbard. And, uh, and I visited with her another time for probably 30 minutes privately, one-on-one. And one of my remarks to her was, Congresswoman, you're not a Democrat. Because <laughs> we talked about her positions on everything. And her response to me was, I know that. <laughs> and I said, well, why are you on the Democratic side of the aisle? She, and her response was, because in Hawaii, you cannot get elected dog catchers or Republicans. And I said, well, okay, then. The the lady is a, um, I think she's still in the Army National Guard. She was active duty Army for many years. but And she went to Iraq two or three times, served in Iraq uh, as a captain and then a major and Last time I talked to her, she was getting promoted to lieutenant colonel. But anyway, she's a tough chick. She uh, she surfs. <laughs> she parasailed. She shoots guns. <laughs> All of that. She's pro-life. She's, uh, she's physical conservative. She doesn't believe in running a non-balanced budget. I mean, we had a great conversation. And, uh, and but here's the thing. She would pick up the woman vote for sure. Uh, my mother loves her. My mother's an arch conservative Republican. Uh, she loves her and she's 82 years old. And, uh, and Joe Manchin is a middle of the road. He's a, he's an old school Democrat, like a, 
like a JFK uh, style Democrat, Lloyd Benson, the the old school Democrats, and and he's from a union area in West Virginia, which the whole state's union. He believes in fossil fuels. <laughs> he believes in everything the liberals don't. Uh, so, but here's the thing: that would give the liberals no choice. They would have to vote for him, or they got to vote Republican. But here's what it does do: it opens up the more moderate Republicans to voting for that ticket who just happen to not like Trump's tweets. Okay, the the never Trumpers, and they would win. That's the bottom line. Now, whether the Democrat Party has the courage to put that ticket up, I don't know. But that would be the smart ticket. On Conversely, if I were Donald Trump and I were advising Donald Trump or I were Donald Trump, I would pick up Tulsi Gabbard as my running mate in 24. What do you think that would do? Well, you know, obviously, uh, I do think that would go a long way towards uh, picking uh, back up several of the women that have been turned off by uh, the the mean tweets. But I'd also like to make a point that uh, when when Ken said that Tulsi Gabbard is a tough chick, uh, the first thing that comes to mind is her battling with Hillary Clinton and the fact that she's had these open conflicts with Hillary. And she's still alive. Not a lot of people can say that. All right, let's go ahead and try to sneak in that very late mid-hour break right about now. Uh, Folks, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back on the other side, and we'll finish this conversation with uh, Ken Crow. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. In the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, this is Tom Caldwell, innocent January 6th defendant and proud Navy veteran. You're listening to the Voice of Reasons. All of the mass shooting events occurring throughout the United States, isn't it ironic how officials don't want to punish criminals but desire to take your guns? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. Every weekend in cities like Chicago and many more, thugs are often not punished for their crimes. So now they do whatever comes to their corrupted minds with no fear of the long arm of the law. Yet, like clockwork, government drags like Kamala Harris scream about the need to come for your guns via gun control. To be frank, gun control is a fascist tool that was used by Adolf Hitler against Jews during the genocide of the 1930s and 40s. 
Today, it is advocated by leftists like California Governor Newsom, Joe Biden, and other Latter-day Nazis as disinformation to eliminate our God-given rights and liberty. Leftists are on an evil quest to disarm law-abiding sovereign Americans without the ability or will to resist incremental socialism and globalism. The United States will soon crash into a self-imposed dung heap of tyranny. Stand and resist the enemy, my fellow Americans. Your liberty hangs in the balance. I'm Ron Edwards. 3 p.m. weekdays, it's the Ron Edwards American Experience. To find out where, go to theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. My name is Joe Biden. My name is Joe Biden. My name's Joe Biden. <laughs> Why is it that every time I play that liner, I want to laugh just like Joe Biden does? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, before we get back to the conversation with Ken, uh, are you somebody that needs to make a lot of press releases? Do you have a lot of information you need to get out there and distribute it? Then let me recommend to you 247PressRelease.com. Uh, right now, they are indeed press release distribution made simple. Distribute your news to traditional and digital media outlets using their user-friendly, proprietary cloud-based platform. Just follow the link in the show description, or if you're listening on terrestrial radio, or maybe you just uh, went about your business and now you're trying to remember where I sent you, you can come visit me at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P, into the truth. And from there, you can scroll down once you land on the homepage, past recent guest, and uh, then you'll see a little banner for 24-7 press release. Uh, Click on that banner. It'll work just the same. By using that link in the show description or hitting that uh, link at the webpage, they'll know I sent you. That way, the win-win of you getting easy press releases, and them getting a great new customer, that would be you, then uh, we get that third win in because you help support the show. Uh, And I would greatly appreciate that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, back to the conversation with Ken Crow. And as we were picking up, we uh, went right back into things. uh, And we were talking about Tulsi fighting Hillary. And uh, then we talked a little bit about the debates. And Ken jumped right in when it came to uh, Tulsi Gabbard's performance in the debates and a certain current vice president. And, And you saw what she did to Kamala Harris in the debates. I mean, she eviscerated Kamala. I mean, Kamala was wanting to cry and leave the stage when she got done with her. Uh, it, 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 she or or I, I really hope if Trump does pull the trigger here that he does pick a woman because it takes the misogynist argument out of the picture, which is a huge deal, and that hurt him in this last election. He lost a lot of women in this last election for a couple of reasons, but that would bring them back. But I really hope he would take a look at Joni Ernst. I think Joni would be a fantastic choice for him. Uh, Albeit, I am a little bit upset with Joni right now for voting for that gun bill, which she did. Uh, I am a bit upset with her, and we're going to have a prayer meeting about that. Uh, well, we are, 
All right, at that point, I said, well, it's definitely time. Somebody needs to have a come-to-Jesus meeting when it comes to that. And then I said, you talked a little bit earlier about the Democrats' smart ticket and about whether or not they'd have the courage to do that. And I asked point blank, forget about courage. There really doesn't seem to be any left in the Democratic Party. Uh, It's almost as if the Justice Democrats have, for all intents and purposes, uh, wrestled control of the uh, party proper away from the uh, establishment Democrats. Because now you don't even have uh, people like Chuck Schumer or or, uh, – Miss Pelosi is uh, standing up against the squad. She gets back to town. We're going to have prayer meeting over that. No, they aren't. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, none of them are. I mean, AOC and Rashida Tlaib and a few more like that are running that whole party right now. And it's a tragedy. It's a great party. The Democrat Party has a great history in this nation. Going back a couple of hundred years, you know, Thomas Jefferson was a Democrat, uh, but they have they they have absolutely gone awry and gone astray. It's like they've lost their minds, and the the protesters at Berkeley and that chick in that famous photograph where she's howling at the moon, screaming, "No!" You know, they have taken over the party. And and Bill Clinton and, and those guys, the old guard, they no longer have a voice. Uh, at this point, uh, I, I interjected again and said, well, you're right. I mean, uh, if you're part of the old guard, you have to at the very least pretend to be part of this new uber-progressive part of the party. If you're not there, even somebody like Elizabeth Warren, who I disagree with her policies. I disagree with her struggling with the truth on occasion because she has exaggerated her circumstance, but she has to be a reasonably intelligent individual in order to have ever been a law professor at Harvard, which she was. And I I don't take any of those credentials away from her. You can't uh, elevate yourself to that point and be a dullard. It's just not possible. But even she's running around screaming about this Supreme Court ruling as if she's lost her mind. Amen. Did I ever tell you what Elizabeth Warren's campaign manager told me? I I received a phone call one night. This was just before the Iowa caucuses back in 2020. And I received a phone call one night, and this nice young lady is on the other end and said, Mr. Crow, I said, yes, we would like to solicit your support for Senator Elizabeth Warren in the upcoming caucus. And I said, and you're calling me? <laughs> and she said, yes. And I said, well, what makes you think that I would be interested in supporting Senator Warren in this caucus? And I said, let me, let me ask you a couple of questions. So I said, how does Elizabeth, I, I've been hearing Elizabeth talk a lot about making the rich pay their fair share. I said, tell me, how, how is that going to work? What is it she wants to do? Well, she wants to implement a one-time tax, and I don't remember the exact number, but it would have stripped Bill Gates of like $35 billion, right? Of his $65 billion. 
it would have stripped him of roughly half his wealth. I said, why is that fair? I said, this is America. Because she doesn't feel like he needs that much to live on. So here you have a United States senator in a very, very powerful position as a United States senator trying to determine what somebody needs to live on and what is fair. And she wants to go in and take all these billionaires and strip them of roughly half of their wealth. And that's the way all of these people think. You see it right now. They're wanting to jack up income taxes. They're wanting to jack up. You're going to see a lot of this. And just before the 24 election, you're going to see him pay off everybody's student loans. You're going to see him do all this to buy millions of votes for the Democrat Party. You're going to see this happen. And uh, that's where I interjected. Yeah, we've already seen a major payoff of a bunch of these student loans, uh, folks owing up to $200,000. And uh, I, the, the qualifications were there. And, yeah, I would be very surprised if we don't see another round of this before the midterm elections. And we'll definitely see them before 2024 elections. Uh, and at that point... I made the statement that, as always, uh, great conversations go by way too fast, and that much is true, and uh, we have witnessed that on a multitude of occasions here. And I asked him to go ahead and let all the listeners know where they can find his work and then offer up any final thoughts he would like to share. Okay, it's conservativedailybriefing.com. You can find me on Twitter at KWR. Kilo Whiskey Romeo Crow C R O W. That's at K W R Crow. I'm not on any of the others. At least I don't think I am. Uh, <laughs> and as far where we're going, I think President Trump, and I'm happy to see it. Uh, I think he's going to shake the Democrat Party to their very core. But I do honestly believe he's getting ready to announce. And when he does, it's going to turn Washington, D.C. on their heads. And all of these people like Tim Scott and Rick Scott and everybody else, Nikki Haley, are going to have to rethink what it is they're up to and doing. Because they're going to have dark days ahead trying to go up against the president. All right. And uh, there was some more. We exchanged some pleasantries for the most part. We talked a little bit about the uh, Trump 2024 signs that literally went up the day after uh, the election's announcement. But that's going to have to be it for hour number one. If you're listening on Terrestrial Radio, that is it for now. If you're listening to the podcast, stay tuned. Hour number two starts right after this. Uh, in the meanwhile, uh, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take theirs. Be prepared to put in some effort. Most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, hey, Joe, this is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. A blue state clan taught to praise the little man, told that unions saved the working class. He was
was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees they said their vows He couldn't say when He couldn't say how He couldn't say why She was different in his eyes And had a kid Tried to live like their parents did But both their parties taxed them close to death The USA is in a crucial stage It's not because of foreign wars we wage It's more to do with the colors blue and red Many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people trying to cross the border And politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've gotta be free The way God made men Right to self-defense They say you're safer but they don't make sense Dangerous ones will not turn into guns All the unions always ask for more All we buy is made on foreign shores Come a day when there'll be real hell pay I've gotta be free The way God made men Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am indeed your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic, lovely, beautiful, scenic, and uh, somewhat stormy tonight, uh, Roan County, Tennessee. Uh, back in the first hour of tonight's live broadcast, I brought to you a conversation I had with Mr. Ken Crow, uh, the purveyor of the daily, well, the conservative daily briefing.com, uh, a 
fantastic website uh, that even I occasionally have been known to contribute at. Uh, we were talking uh, about his impressions of Trump's rally in Alaska and how he feels like the announcement that Trump will indeed be running for president once again is imminent. Now, a couple of things that uh, we had talked about off air that I had hoped to kind of wrangle into the conversation we never got around to was some of the dirty tricks that we expect uh, the Democrats and uh, some of the never Trump or rhinos uh, to attempt to try and prevent Donald from being able to run. And it would certainly fall within the realm of possibility of them letting him announce, letting him even campaign, and then try to put him under federal indictment. Uh, a big difference between the indictment level and uh, the federal investigation that Hillary was under is if they're investigating, there, there's no concern whatsoever. Once you are indicted... That changes the calculus of uh, running a presidential campaign. Uh, it, uh, in some instances, most people would tend to believe it makes you ineligible. And as far as the legal side of things, I never really got a chance to uh, take the time to look up the legality there. But uh, it, it may even be possible, uh, I suppose, that you might be forced to step down until you can go through all your legal wrangling. Now, I don't believe... Uh, they have anything that they could actually convict Trump on, but they knew they didn't have anything to impeach him on either. It didn't keep them from, uh, didn't stop them at all from trying to do it twice. Uh, he also talked about who he believed the Democrats should run as their ticket if they were smart. And he talked about Joe Manchin and Tulsi Gabbard. That would be the Democrats' dream team ticket would practically be unstoppable because they would actually be what Joe Biden's campaign promised Joe Biden would be. Relatively normal, relatively uh, actually for the little guy, relatively fiscally conservative. Uh, they love America. They love the institutions. They're still for uh, maintaining uh, the gridlock that was intended to be put in place uh, by our framers, the founders of this great nation, when they uh, wrote the Constitution and created our federated republic, our constitutionally federated republic, uh, knowing that the more gridlock there would be there, the less they could do. And that was the point. They didn't want the federal government becoming so efficient at taking away our God-given liberties as they're trying to do every day. And the problem that the leftists have with that is they want centralized power. They want a dictator cramming down their leftist, uber-progressive agenda down on all of us. That doesn't play too well here in the United States. But it was an interesting conversation. If you missed it, go back, find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and uh, give it a listen. I want to thank uh, Ken, once again, for joining me. As always, I greatly appreciate his time. It was a fantastic conversation. In the meanwhile, here in hour number two, uh, and I say this primarily for the uh, benefit of those of you that are listening on terrestrial radio, because what happens invariably is that you will get hour number one one day, which is usually the next day. So uh, you'll be getting this on the 13th. And then you'll get hour number two, which is this hour, uh, on the 14th. And, you know, between now and then, a lot of stuff could have happened. So if you're wondering why I'm not talking about any of that, and why I may be talking about some stuff that, hey, I've already heard this to death, although I try to find stuff I think is going to fly under that radar, 
Uh, that would be the explanation. So that's where we're at right now. So again, thank you, Ken. Uh, greatly appreciate it. And now let's jump to today's topics, shall we? Uh, first and foremost, uh, some of the GOP are actually standing up and uh, uh, giving Biden what for over the use of COVID funds for social activism. And now, this isn't surprising. We know it's an ongoing thing and why it takes uh, an office holder to have to call them out on this is beyond me. Uh, the American people should be calling Biden out on this, uh, much the same as they should be calling him out on his energy policy, his foreign policy, his juxtaposition on the Putin uh, tax uh, height, uh, the, the Putin price increase, uh, whatever their little uh, copyrighted, trademarked uh, tagline is. Uh, the rationale there, of course, is it, it is a juxtaposition. And, and that's something that I'm not hearing enough people call out. Clearly, it's one of two things. Either your policies are to blame or Putin is to blame. And therefore, an endless war in Ukraine needs to come to an end. You can't have both. If you're going to continue with the endless war, which, by the way, they announced another multi-million dollar aid package going to Ukraine uh, just today. Uh, I was seeing the headlines. Uh, come on. First and foremost, Joe, uh, cut it out. Inflation's bad enough, and the more of our money you send elsewhere, the worse you're going to make that. And the more you drag things out uh, over in the Ukraine, uh, the worse it's going to be for the world as a whole, both on the food side of things and on the energy side of things. But if you want to continue to drag things out in the Ukraine, if you want to continue to, to arm up those folks just enough that they can continue resisting, but not enough that they can actually win, and I don't know if you've noticed it yet or not, but it doesn't seem to be happening. There's not enough help going to them to actually force Russia into a withdrawal. It's almost as if there's something else at play entirely. It's almost as if certain politicians around the world like the idea of making Putin the fall guy and possibly even sending aid that might somehow end up back in their own pockets. Yes, just a little bit of money laundering, uh, taxpayer dollars going here and then magically disappearing. You don't expect it to be accounted for once it gets to Ukraine. And, you know, I'm just saying, if you had that thought in your head, you're not a conspiracy theorist. You're just somebody who's been paying attention lately. And it's a legitimate question. Speaking about legitimate situations, uh, this one I think is predictable, but kind of fun to talk about. GOP uh, leader, Representative Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from California, who who would have thought that, <laughs> uh, unless you pay attention and know he's been there for a minute. Well, uh, McCarthy is preparing to train Republican staffers for the post-midterm investigations. Yes, he's planning to have probes dealing with some of the most highly criticized political moments of Joe Biden's presidency. Uh, in an email sent to staffers uh, on Tuesday, obtained by the Daily Caller, uh, the House Minority Leader and Ranking Member, Representative Rodney Davis, a Republican from Illinois, invited staffers to 
informational briefings, uh, air quotes there, works real good for radio, right, uh, to prepare them for upcoming investigations. Uh, quoting here, uh, Leader McCarthy and ranking member Rodney Davis would like to invite you to attend this informational briefing with John uh, Sedanley. And I'm probably uh, butchering John's last name there. Shalandi? I, I, anyway, I, I should move on quickly because that's what they tell me to do in uh, radio host uh, school. Do not dwell on your mistakes. Move past quickly and stop pointing them out. The listeners don't want to hear it. They already know you screwed up. All right. Thank you for your forgiveness, though. Anyway, John is the chief oversight counsel for the Committee on Financial Services. And uh, this informational uh, meeting also includes Rachel Kuntal, uh Republican staff director for the Ways and Means Subcommittee on Oversight. Uh, this was all in the email, of course. And the email also said... Quoting again, this briefing will review the basics of performing effective oversight investigations and will bring highlight best practices. Excuse me, just a second. Sometimes you just can't hit that silence button fast enough. Sorry about that, guys. Now, um, Back to quoting, and let me pick up where I left off. Uh, this briefing will review the basics of performing effective oversight investigations and will highlight best practices to fulfill congressional constitutional oversight obligations. Now, I love that. I do. I love it. Anytime Congress talks about constitutional obligations, that's fantastic. Now, Sadly, all too often when they use that wording, it's uh, like uh, Indigo Montoya uh, in uh, The Princess Bride. You keep using this word. I, I do not think it means what you think it means. Uh, we get to that a lot, especially from the left, because uh, right now they're talking about the constitutional right to murder a uh, pre-born human baby. We had the right to murder those children for 50 years. What's wrong with you people? Now, the question is, what's wrong with you people? It was never a constitutional right. It's not in the Constitution. The Supreme Court made it up 50 years ago. The Supreme Court this year undid the damage and said, hey, you know what? It's not even about the fact that it was made up. It's about the fact that it was never a federal issue. There's nothing here for the federal government to be involved with. That's part of... Why I get so worked up about what Joe Biden and his little minions are trying to do. And every time I hear somebody like AOC or Elizabeth Warren talk about, hey, let's put abortion tents up on national parks and, and on uh, national land, even in the states that are going to be very restrictive. Why do I get worked up about it? Because the Supreme Court made it very clear. The federal government has no role in either supporting, promoting, or discouraging and not uh, uh, supporting uh, abortion. It, it has no role either way. It's not in its purview. It's good to see the Supreme Court reminding the federal government, uh, pump the brakes there, uh, buddy. Uh, you don't have any authority here. That's not in your purview. I know you like to think you've got control. I know you like to, to look at this one clause here and then uh, use the elastic clause to pretend like that means that, well, we've got a lot more power. It was implied. No, if it's not specifically said, stop 
trying to imply things. For the love of Pete, just cut it out. So, yeah, I very much like it when Congress, when the Senate, when the, the House of Representatives, when either, either side starts talking about constitutional obligations, and they actually mean it. They're actually talking about a honest-to-goodness, true constitutional obligation. It's fan-freaking-tastic, boys and girls. Even when it comes down to them doing or saying something that we don't like, it's still fantastic because it means the Constitution is back, baby. It means that it matters again, and it means all those little leftists are going to be even sadder. It means that my leftist tears tumbler over here that I got from the Daily Wire when I signed up my membership is going to be constantly filled. It means I'm going to have to put in a request to the fine folks over at the Daily Wire. I'm going to have to send an email to Ben Shapiro himself or maybe the God King Jeremy Boren and said, hey, guys, the Tumblr's not big enough anymore. Can you please release a leftist tears keg? A big one. Because I, 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 too many tears, it's overflowing. Too many, too many, it's overflowing. Anyway, let's, <laughs> let me get back to this. As you can tell, I'm in a mood. After revisiting my conversation with Ken uh, that uh, was back in the first hour, uh, I'm feeling really excited about stuff again. All right, so Republicans have a long list of matters that they indeed do plan to investigate should they take the House in November. And uh, spoiler alert, they really should. Assuming that nothing disastrous happens to the party between now and then, uh, it really looks like there's not too many mathematical ways that the Republicans don't take the House. The question becomes, by how many seats? How big the advantage is? Because uh, the worst-case scenario for the Republicans means uh, by about five to seven seats. Best case scenario uh, means that as many as 22 seats could be flipping. Now, I don't expect it to be quite that many. Uh, not not flipping, but uh, the, that uh, obviously a lot more would have to flip in order to get there, but a 22-seat advantage. Now, I, I don't expect it's going to be quite that big. I think it's going to fall somewhere probably right about in the middle of that. But the bottom line is they're still in charge both ways. If they do not take the House... I would definitely be suspicious of some shenanigans. I'm just going to leave that right there. Now, Ken made the point when we were talking back in the first hour uh, about how it uh, is likely that a lot of these places are cleaning up their acts and they're trying to avoid uh, these level of shenanigans. Number one, because they don't like us finding out. But number two, because they may be just trying to save that for the next presidential run. You know, we can't break it out every time. Now, there is even a chance, although I don't think it's nearly as likely, uh, that the Republicans could take the Senate. Now, the way the the elections run this year, uh, because of how they literally do one-third of the Senate every six years. You know, you got six years, and so every couple of years you're having one-third uh, <laughs> having to be reelected. The math doesn't work out very good for Republicans uh, actually taking the Senate, but there's still opportunities to take some seats. And uh, right now, uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see if they do manage to take it. Hey, even better, we could use it. But 
they certainly should have the House, and the House will be enough to get started. That's for sure. Now, when we're talking about these things that they're this long, long list that they want to look at, we're talking about Biden's border policies. We're talking about the origins of COVID-19. We're talking about uh, coronavirus testing and uh, the shutdown mandates and the mask mandates. We're even still talking about, as we should be, the Afghanistan withdrawal. And more pressingly, as of late, Hunter Biden's business dealings, because as we talked about uh, back in the first hour again, I hate keep referring back to the first hour knowing that you radio folks uh, may or may not have heard that. So please, again, go back and uh, listen to the first hour of the podcast. Uh, we mentioned that uh, right now we're sending oil to China. And I pointed out that uh, that oil that we're sending to China is part of our strategic reserve. You know, it's there for a reason. It's not supposed to be just wheeled about willy-nilly, and it's certainly not supposed to be going to some other country. We've already tapped a reserve and sent a bunch to Europe. Now we're sending some to China. And here's the big deal when it comes to Hunter Biden is the the company, the energy company in China that we're sending our strategic reserve oil to happens to have direct ties to Hunter Biden. Uh, conflict of interest much? I mean, it's bad enough in the first place. This, that alone should be an impeachable offense. Tapping our strategic reserves and sending it to another country should be an impeachable offense. I, I think it, if it's not treason, it certainly borders on it. We're not talking about just any amount of oil that's being sent. We're literally talking about the strategic reserves. We're talking about oil that's been put aside in the event of a full-blown emergency. We're talking about, even with the current energy policies in place, which is an effort on the part of the Biden administration and all the uber-lefty green folks out there to try to push us to electric, which is literally the worst thing that could happen for the environment, by the way. When you look at how the ion batteries, uh, the rare earth minerals, have to be collected how you store the batteries once they've been used. They're only good for two years. How do you keep them charged? You know, all these things make it actually worse for the environment than our current petro-fueled uh, automotive uh, industries. It's just clearly there. But, um, you know, why, why are we... E even if we were, if we were uh, calling on Exxon... Saying, yeah, all that oil that you're getting out of the Gulf of Mexico, if they were still doing it, I say, you know, we, we've opened all the leases. We're letting you guys go. Chevron, Texaco, you're over here. ExxonMobil, you're over here. You're doing this stuff. Hey, guys, I want you to send half of what you're getting to uh, Europe. Okay, well, that would not be near treason. It would be stupid. It'd be really dumb. It would be exactly what we expect from this administration. Take it one step further. Okay, I want you to take half of what you're doing, and, and instead of us refining it here and using it here, I want you to send it to China. Now it's getting kind of iffy because even then, sending something to China, China has made it clear they are our adversary. They are not our friends. The Chinese Communist Party are the bad guys of the world, period. There are other bad guys in the world, but they are the bad guys. As much as you may dislike Putin, 
as much as you may not dislike uh, Kim Jong-un, as much as you may dislike any other despot in any other part of the world, uh, Maduro comes to mind in Venezuela for some reason, it doesn't matter. The Chinese Communist Party are the worst. Now, the Chinese people who are having to suffer under the yoke of the Chinese Communist Party, they're not the enemy. They're not the bad guy. We need to, again, remind ourselves, because uh, we have a tendency to talk in hyperbole and we tend to target entire countries because of who the government is. We, we need to keep that part in mind. But it's because this open adversary relationship that China directs towards us and, quite frankly, anyone else who's not China. Uh, they'll make temporary alliances as long as it serves their purpose. But, hey, Russia, hey, India – Watch out, guys. And all those African countries and South America and Central American countries that are currently following under the influence of China, you guys better be real careful. For some of you, it's already too late. You, you've already fallen into the trap, and you don't even know it yet. For you guys, the end is nigh. And there's not going to be too much that very many other people are going to be able to do to help you with that. It is scary and tragic. But that's the way it is. So my point there, before I went on down that rabbit hole as far as I did, is that one could make the case that it's rather treasonous to send any of our natural resources to China freely, period, because all we're doing is strengthening them so that they later can undermine us and maybe at some point down the road under a continued Biden or Biden-esque administration – Somebody who's going to follow in his footsteps uh, later on down the road is not just going to undermine our influence but also will directly attack us at some point. Why would we do that? But we're not talking about just calling up ExxonMobil. We're not just talking about calling up a Chevron Texaco. Uh, we're not even talking about uh, calling up Standard Oil. We're talking about tapping the strategic reserves that takes it to a whole new level you could make the case that that is treasonous just to send it to our european allies because of what it represents because of what it is it is our emergency lifeline in the event something horrific happens that's what it was always intended to be the current economic situation where they've allowed the fuel prices to shoot through the roof, even that is not enough to justify tapping the strategic reserves because, again, it's not there to provide for Joe Biden some cover for his terrible, terrible policies. So just opening it up for us in this particular circumstance is bad enough. It's not smart. It's, well, it's very... Joseph Robinette Biden-esque. That is what it is. Anyway, back to these training sessions, uh, since I've decided to meander down the, down the uh, Primrose Path here. The first training session is actually scheduled for July 22nd, uh, according to the report from the Daily Caller. And McCarthy will reportedly host two more planned for September. A Republican Oversight Committee aide told the Daily Caller that uh, Republicans are also flooding the Biden administration with hundreds of uh, preservation notices, asking that relevant documents be preserved. Now, you see, 
my problem with that is you're basically telling them what needs to go to the shredder, whereas they should be able to access these things without having to send these notices. But that is how technically business is done. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, one of the aides told the Daily Caller, quote, we're just laying the groundwork now. We're going to keep sending our letters. I would imagine at some point those letters are repackaged, as we say. Hey, you did not respond to the request we sent you six months ago. We expect you to turn over these documents. Now, the aide also continued by saying, quote, we're just getting ready. We keep conducting oversight. We'll be ready to roll in January with several investigations already prepared to go. Everything will be on the table. Possible impeachment of multiple cabinet officials, if necessary, such as Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas and Attorney General Merrick Garland. Just a couple of name drops. Well, I find that interesting. Uh, quite interesting, in fact. And uh, I look forward to it. I, I would love at this point to see the federal government uh, operate. I, I hate the tit for tat. I do. But sometimes the only way to really reach these people is to give them a dose of their own medicine. And I think that's pretty much where we are at now. All right, I'm looking at the clock and I'm thinking, gee, it's already time for that uh, mid-hour break that we like to take. So you guys stay right where you are and uh, we'll be back on the other side of this very brief break. Uh, please don't go away. It's, uh, it's going to be fun uh, as we continue forward. Stay right where you're at. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. Rise and shine, sleepy Joe. Now's the time, don't you know, to get into a new kind of dream. You can rest your head. On the corner of your bed, you can watch the world go by. But you're never gonna see what the other people see if you're always gonna be a wine dog face pony soldier. I thought we were blessed with a government of by and for the people, but I guess Big Pharma giant Pfizer Corporation thinks otherwise. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards, on today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. A recent lawsuit filed by whistleblower Brooke Jackson alleging Pfizer and two of its contractors manipulated data and committed other acts of fraud during Pfizer's Corona China virus clinical trials is paused following a motion by the defendants to dismiss the case. Why? Because Pfizer argued the lawsuit which was filed under the False Claims Act should be dismissed because the United States government knew of the wrongdoings in the criminal trials but continued to do business with the vaccine maker. To gum up the works, in 2016, the Supreme Court made it easier for crooked corporations to get away with screwing over we the people by ruling. If the government continued paying a fraudulent contractor, the fraud was not considered material to the contract. Pfizer is a federal contractor because it signed multiple contracts with the U.S. government to provide and force Americans to take their vaccines. 
So maybe the government is now by and for the big pharma. God help us. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the Ron Edwards American Experience 3 p.m. weekdays via theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Things that you say on the world stage keep getting walked back. What's getting walked back? It made it sound like, just in the last couple days, uh, it sounded like you told U.S. troops they were going to Ukraine. It sounded like you said it was possible the U.S. would use a chemical weapon. And it sounded like you were calling for regime change in Russia. And we know... None of the three occurred. None of the three occurred? None of the three. With the Ukrainian people, Ukrainian people have a lot of backbone. They have a lot of guts. And I'm sure you're observing it. And I don't mean just the military, which is we've been trained in since back when they uh, Russia moved into uh, in, in the southeast southeast um, Ukraine, but also the average citizen. Look at how they're stepping up. Look at how they're stepping up. And you're going to see when you're there. Some of you've been there. And we know none of the three occurred. Weapons could, if chemical weapons were used in Ukraine, would that trigger a military response from NATO? It would. It would trigger a response in kind. And we know none of the three occurred. For God's sake, this man cannot remain power. And we know none of the three occurred. I'm Ron Edwards, host of The Edwards Notebook, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap Into the Truth. Right here, right now, there is no other place I want to be. Right here, right now, watching the world wake up from history. It is indeed time to wake up. History is being made all around us right now. A historic presidency, uh, historically the worst presidency uh, ever. Uh, at this point, he's literally starting to make Jimmy Carter look like he was a good president. And again, I, I don't say that to pick on Jimmy. I, personally, I, I've i had the opportunity to meet Jimmy Carter a couple of times. Uh, as a, an individual, he's a nice guy. I like him personally. He still was a terrible president. So it is indeed time to wake up as we are uh, facing history. And you know what might also help you to wake up um, if you don't have to worry about head trauma? And the fine folks over at Second Skull are going a long way towards uh, helping you out with that. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with them, there will be a, uh, a link to the website. I will tell you now, I do own a small equity stake in uh, Second Skull. Uh, Very small. (laughs) Very, very small. Uh, Not large enough for me to even be required legally to tell you about it, but I don't want there to be any secrets between us. I don't want you thinking that I'm sitting here promoting these folks out of the kindness of my heart. Uh, I am not getting paid directly. They're not a sponsor. They're not an affiliate. Uh, If you go click, if you go purchase, I'm not getting the benefit of uh, supporting the show uh, other than the fact that this is a company that I 
since I'm a part owner, I would like to see it succeed. Anyway, uh, what they do, and they're focused primarily in the past uh, with athletes, they have headbands and, and skull caps, uh, and then they also have some helmets and some other stuff available as well. Got all kinds of different colors. Uh, they have associations with certain professional leagues, including uh, being partnered with the Major League Baseball Players Association. Uh, second skull is made of a unique material that uh, it's soft, it's pliable, it's durable, but if it has a sudden impact, it firms up like a the outside of a helmet so it gives you an extra level of protection you wear the headbands or you wear the skull caps underneath your regular helmets and it's fantastic but you know what it's not just for athletes now the pitch so far that i've been putting out there has been directed towards youth players because you know you don't want your young kids having concussions and this will definitely help along that uh, avenue but you also have military using uh, this as well, and uh, there's a lot of industrial use. If you work in a location that requires a hard hat, maybe you ought to take a look at Second Skull uh, to, to get you a headband or something to wear underneath that hard hat to give you an extra level of protection. Because if you don't protect your brain, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to end up sounding an awful lot like Joe Biden. That you do not want. So check them out, Second Skull. Uh, there will be a link to the website in the show description. If you're listening to the podcast, you just kind of look down there, click the link, go visit. You can read all about them. You can read about the technology. You can shop there and check it all out. Trust me, you're protecting your brain. You can't put too too high of a price tag on protecting your brain. But the prices aren't that crazy, all right? I don't want you to think that I'm saying, well, yeah, for 200 No, it's not like that. Uh, just go visit, see for yourself. Uh, it's certainly worthwhile uh, for you, especially if you're a youth coach or if you have uh, kids or grandkids that are playing youth sports, absolutely. But again, if you're active-duty military, if you're reserved, if you are working someplace that requires a hard hat, then you could garner a lot of value from Second Skull. All right. Now, with all that being said, what do you say we get back to the show? I think I've talked about this long enough. All right. Going to try to sneak two topics in here because one of these stories I really want to discuss, and then there's this one. <laughs> I, I, it's important enough that we probably ought to talk about it because it illustrates some of the stupidity of the left. But the Joe Biden administration right now uh, has the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, that's NOAA, recommending breaching dams on the Snake River to ensure the survival of endangered salmon. This is a move that could jeopardize power supplies in the Pacific Northwest and worsen the supply chain crisis. Uh, so, yeah, that sounds like a perfect idea. Could somebody please explain to me if the goal of the Biden administration is not to destroy the country, what could you possibly do differently? What could you possibly do to be more effective at trying to harm our country? The power supply is already spotty at best in the Pacific Northwest. And the supply chain crisis, my goodness gracious, we're still a long way off from fixing that. But this past Monday, a draft report from the agency suggested that the four lower Snake River dams should be breached to decrease time required for traveling for the salmon, as well as reduce stress on juvenile fish and encounters with powerhouses. 
Now, the earthen portion of each dam would be removed, and a naturalized river channel would be established around the concrete spillways and powerhouse structures, according to the report. The dams, however, provide 3,033 megawatts of capacity to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, this according to the 2016 fact sheet from the Bonneville Power Administration. It's entirely possible that it could be slightly higher than that now. It's also possible. It could be a little less, but that it's not likely. The entity added this month that replacing the dams would cost $415 million to $860 million dollars per year until 2045, amounting to a total cost in the neighborhood of $19.6 billion and increasing electricity costs for households by up to 18% over that same time period. The replacement is made more expensive over time, uh, quoting here, due to increasingly stringent clean energy standards and electrification-driven load growth. In other words, all the people needing electricity and all the uh, tree-hugging green uh, New Deal morons uh, forcing their agenda is what's making it so expensive. In fact, lawmakers from the region, including Representative Kathy McMorris, uh, Kathy McMorris-Rogers, I'm sorry, they're calling for Joe Biden to nix the proposal, uh, stating that the, the administration issued a declaration of emergency last month with respect to the nation's grid capacity. If we really are in a state of emergency, Joe, why would you do this? It's only going to make it worse. Uh, quoting here, Today, with the release of these draft reports, one thing is clear. The Biden administration is talking a big game on carbon goals while simultaneously engaging in actions to undermine valuable, clean, affordable, and renewable power resources on the Columbia River system, thus compromising energy stability across the region. Uh, that, of course, is from the statement from the lawmakers. Now, citing data from the University of Washington, the lawmakers also noted that the salmon returns have been increasing since 2019, with the, the spring uh, Chinook salmon returns rising 31% above the 10-year average. Quoting here from their statement, We urge this administration to consider the facts. See, uh, okay, I've got to commentate right about there. This administration has a very, very unhealthy relationship with facts and truth. Okay, so, so they, this plea is not going to work. You're taking the wrong tack, guys. But eh, I, I get you're trying to make a point, and your point is not lost on the rest of us. So we got you, but if you're literally talking to the administration, as soon as you said consider the facts, you just lost them. They're gone. They're down the road. They just put Pete Buttigieg in place, and that's the only guy who's listening, and he's going to be uh, telling you some crazy thing about how the river is racist and they've got to get traveling on the river under control. So it's, it's a whole Buttigieg thing, okay? You're not going to win this argument, but here they go. 
we urge the administration to consider the facts, prioritize transparency, and see, that's another no-go, and utilize sound science. Wait, wait, if it's not settled science, they can't use it, guys. Sound science? That sounds too much like real science. No! I swear, I'm going to get through the statement. I really will. Okay, so they want you to utilize sound science and input from all tribes, industry groups, and the ratepayers themselves before coming to an outcome in any final report that would be catastrophic to the communities that we represent. That was uh, in the statement. Now, it's all well and good as a lawmaker to send a letter like this to Biden himself, to any part of the administration that has oversight when it comes to moving these kind of projects in place. Uh, And I get it. It's part of your job. You have to communicate with these people, and you have to try to reason with them. I'm just saying good luck. I think you already know that you're spinning your wheels. You might as well have a little pinwheel and be blowing on it and make it spin uh, just as much as those giant windmills they would like to pretend are spinning out in the plains. Literally last summer, the Pacific Northwest faced rolling blackouts, which are intentionally induced to preserve capacity in the long run. Amid all that, a historic heat wave leading to roughly one dozen deaths so far, a reliably... Reliability assessment from the North American Electric Reliability Corporation said earlier this year that much of the United States is at high risk or at the very least elevated risk for rolling blackouts this summer. Representative Dan Newhouse from Washington introduced the Federal Columbia River Power System Certainty Certainty Act back in June basically to ensure that the lower Snake River dams would not be breached. Amidst a national emergency and a supply chain crisis, I'm quoting here again, by the way, it is unconscionable that dam breaching advocates repeatedly attempt to force a predetermined, unscientific conclusion that will put our communities who are already struggling at risk. In the Pacific Northwest, not only do we depend on this crucial infrastructure for clean, renewable, and affordable energy, and those are all leftist catchphrases, should mean that they're on board with them. But transportation for 60% of the nation's wheat, the Snake River dams are integral to flood control, navigation, irrigation, agriculture, and recreation in central Washington, and our region cannot afford to lose them. Now, the question is, what does that actually mean to the Biden administration? Does it mean anything at all? Does it sound to them as funny as LeBron James thought he was being when he said that Brittany Greiner shouldn't even want to come back to America. Remember, Brittany is locked up in a Chinese uh, jail right now. I, I think that might not be a bad idea for LeBron. LeBron, go to China, spend some time as a guest of the CCP in one of their prisons uh, for a couple of days 
And I think you'll be understanding very quickly about how good it is to live in the United States. Brittany Grader, oh, why, why do you even want to come back, she says. And I'm assuming he thought he was being funny. Probably about as funny as Hunter Biden thought uh, weighing out his drugs on camera would be, uh, which evidently Hunter, by the way, now is probably going to face federal charges related to prostitution, uh, human trafficking as he took prostitutes across state lines kind of thing. But uh, regardless of all that, it's it's – this is the world we live in. Oh, we need uh, all this. Let's tear down the dams. <laughs> I thought you wanted hydropower. Oh, no, no, no. We want hydropower. Just not here because the salmon are in trouble. Is there something you can do? According to all the data, the salmon are doing better than ever. Okay, up 31%. They're doing that much better. Come on. What's it really about? It's really about control. We know. We know. We know. All right. Last topic of the day. Uh, and I had to sneak this one in because this is one of those culture war stories that you really need to try and wrap your mind around. Because remember, for the longest time, the, the political left in this country, they used as their battle cry, it's for the children. And now their battle cry is trans the children. Right? I mean, that, that is the whole part. They have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that they have exactly zero Fs given when it comes to children in this country. It's, it's there. It's for, all you got to do is look. There's no question. There's no doubt. Whether they're talking about murdering that lump of cells that to the rest of us is a pre-born baby human uh, to how they treat children, period. I mean, they want to chemically castrate children they want to surgically mutilate children and they want to punish children for having wrong think well how do i know that's well let's take a look headline here seven-year-old white girl allegedly punished by the school for writing any lives matter on black lives matter pictures that she drew punished for it okay so the seven-year-old girl was in california has ADHD, evidently diagnosed, and loves drawing. And this poor little girl was allegedly disciplined and barred from drawing any pictures for her friends in school after she created a drawing embolizing, embolizing Black Lives Matter, but wrote any lives beneath it. In other words, she at seven years old, says, yes, I believe black lives matter. But I actually believe part of the reason why black lives matter is because all lives matter. Any lives matter. And in fact, this doesn't even necessarily, when you say any lives, this could be an argument more of what the Black Lives Matter Incorporated folks would want you to, to buy into. Because if you're going to look at some reason, some excuse why St. George Good old St. George kicked off all the summer of love, mostly peaceful protests. You, you, you know that guy? The fact that he was a druggie, had been a violent criminal, had threatened a pregnant woman, had held a gun 
to the stomach of a pregnant woman. The fact that this guy was a low-life piece of crap for a big chunk of his life still means that his life matters when you say any lives matter. So actually, this would be a great addition to the notion that black lives matter. But you see, because they're so hypersensitive and they don't even understand what is and isn't racist anymore, I feel somewhat triggered. I feel like some part of this might actually be code for something else. Because if I was speaking about you, I would use code very similarly. So I'm going to automatically assume that you're using code against me. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. That must be it. Everything is racist. I like to say everything is awesome, but eh, everything is racist. When it comes to some people, they honestly believe that. And this clearly falls into that category. Now, according to the young child's mother, she was never informed of the punishment uh, metered out by the uh, metered out to her child, and only discovered what had happened a year later when another parent told her about it. In the aftermath of uh, this little incident, her daughter stopped drawing entirely. This is an ADHD seven-year-old who was so traumatized by what they did to her, she stopped being creative. This was a healthy outlet for this young girl. This was something that could have helped her overcome her ADHD. This is something that could have blossomed into an artistic existence down the road. She may have been the next great artist, and it was squished because some leftist somewhere felt like, oh, no, this is wrong, think. We can't allow it. Now, I can't fathom a kid that age who loves to draw just suddenly not drawing anymore because of something that happened. But I, I suppose I've heard of Stranger Things. And I don't mean the series on Netflix, by the way. Anyway, quoting here, when I talked to my daughter, I think she said it was so sad. And I said, well, what did the principal say to you? And she said, I can't draw pictures anymore. And I can't write those words. This coming from Chelsea Boyle, the mother in question. The daughter, the daughter was speaking to Kira Davis at Red State. It was an exclusive interview. In this elementary school, they haven't denied any of this yet, but uh, I don't know. I mean, you're talking about Boyle's first grade daughter. Just so happens she's white. She drew a picture to represent her friends who were racially mixed the picture would wound up uh, going home with one of the young girl's friends. So uh, they liked the picture, evidently. Now, Boyle told Davis at Red State that the parents of the friend informed the school that they found the picture offensive. So the parents of the kid. The one girl drew it for her friend. Her friend liked it, said thank you for the picture, took it home, and the parents of the friend of the little girl said, oh, this is offensive. This, of course, prompted the elementary school principal, uh, Jesus Garcia, to allegedly 
query Boyle's daughter, followed by a required public apology from the young girl on the playground to her classmates and teachers, uh, most of whom, I will remind you, had no idea that this was even a thing that had happened. Why do you have to apologize to a group of people that don't even have a clue that you did something that somebody else found offensive? Uh, Does that make any sense to you, especially for a seven-year-old? Apologize to the cop. But here's the other thing. And the teachers. And isn't that really what this is about? Isn't this just another case of adults who are needing the children to validate them? Just like these uh, trans teachers that are so happy when the children just accept them. What does that have to do with your well-being? If you, as an adult, require children to validate anything going on in your life, you probably need to be spending some time with a therapist. Just saying. If you find that offensive, sorry, not sorry. In addition, Boyle's daughter was barred from recess, instead reportedly forced to sit on a bench and watch other children play. Now, that's pretty mean to a seven-year-old. Boyle, who had spent hundreds of hours volunteering to help the school, we're talking about the mother now, said that she only found out about the issue and the punishment in March of 2022 from a mutual friend of hers and the offended family. So in other words, there's a friend of hers and a friend of the family that was offended. The family whose child, the Boyle's daughter, had made the picture for. Are you, are you following me? Quote, my immediate reaction is just, I feel like I got hit by a bus, but I didn't understand it. And I thought, oh, you know, my daughter has just been discriminated against. And I didn't even want to contact a lawyer, but I just didn't know what had happened to us. My children see color as a color, as a description. I am trying to raise them in a way the world should be, not the way it is. That's how I'm trying to make my personal change. My best friend is brown, not black, but brown. And she didn't understand why she didn't matter, why her friend didn't matter. She has another friend that is Japanese. She didn't understand. It's just something that she came up with on her own. She just didn't understand it. But actually, I'm going to say, yes, she did. I'm going to stop you right there, Mom. She did understand. She recognized this for exactly what it is. And that is that as long as you hold one group of people higher than another, you are conducting racism. When you accept that all lives are important, that all lives matter equally, then you're moving towards a colorblind society. And any of these anti-racist, they preach against the colorblind society because they say you're not putting enough emphasis on race. Guess what? You want everybody to be equal, which they clearly do not, but someone who's not racist would. You want everybody to be 
equal, then you should want the Colorblind Society. That's got to be it for now, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so very much. As always, I greatly appreciate you being here to the end. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. Most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, one last sign-off to Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. using both hands Founders knew the Second Amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Mao, Amin, and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Is using both hands Well I prefer the 308 to the tiny 223 Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family using both hands Hey 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.